Hi, and welcome to Intercom on Product. With myself, Des Trainer, co-founder of Intercom, and Paul Adams, who's our Senior Vice President of Product. Over the time we've worked together, Paul and I have had countless conversations about things like how to run a product org at scale, how to balance customer feedback on your product roadmap, how to spread a product-first mentality throughout a company, how to maintain design excellence in a fast-growing R&D team, and so much more. In this series, we're going to begin sharing some of these discussions with you on a regular basis, covering everything from industry trends, what's hot right now, all the way through to things like, how are we embracing the rise of automation? So if you're a designer, product manager, engineer, researcher, or anything in between, we think you'll find these conversations really valuable. You can subscribe to Intercom on Product on iTunes, you can stream it on Spotify, or even just grab the RSS feed in your player of choice. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the latest episode of Intercom on Product. Today is a slightly special one in that it is the 10th birthday of Intercom, the company. We have been from four people to now over 700. We've gone from no revenue to now whatever publicly available figure we have for our revenue is. I'm certainly not about to disclose it on our product podcast. We've been from no offices to five offices, and now we're back to no offices again. And we've been from no process to lots of process to no process to somewhere in the middle we're going to talk about what's changed and what stayed the same. And as always, I am joined by our SVP of product, Mr. Paul Adams. How are you, Paul? Not too bad, Des. Thank you. Wonderful. And I guess we'll just start with this idea of like the evolution of the company. Every startup goes from being like you know you know just a team, like a few founders or whatever, to being some teams, to being teams of teams, into groups, then into orgs. Before you know it, people start talking about cross-functional collaboration and socializing ideas around the org and all of that bollocks that no one really wants to do. What's it been like for you, Paul? <laughs> Basically that. I need to socialize that. You actually, you know, you mention it. Yeah, like when I joined over eight years ago, it was just an amorphous blob of people. You know, we're all in one room. I guess we did have job titles, kind of. Just trying to build a product that people valued, loved, you know, evolved, and then like you said, trying to build a company. I think we started building like actual product teams maybe six months after I joined, like a PM, and we actually hired a PM and a designer yeah. and engineer manager and so on and so forth. So. And like the product, I think, went from like just ship it, like as in just build the thing you're thinking yeah. about building, what are you talking to me for, to like listen to customers and then build the thing, you know. And then it goes all the way up to like, you should arrange cross-functional syncs with sales, marketing, support, and legal. And then before you know it, you're, into, you're sitting in annual planning FY24 or whatever. And then the extreme end of this, which like I, I, you know, I believe we have enough DNA to fight against this, but the extreme end of that is you become one of those companies, you know, the, you know, the ones that like pay for like a glossy high-res video demos of products that don't exist just so the CEO can announce something at a conference. And then four years later, the product team are still trying to catch up with what they pre-announced in like 2018 or whatever. That's the extreme like fail state, if you like, that you just have to consistently fight against. What happens there, Paul? Yeah, uh, <laughs> not good things. This is your fault, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, I do have a product that yeah. I want to show you. I think, like for me, you know, when we reflect back over the last eight years for me, eight plus years for me, ten years for you, there's definitely two things that dominate for me. One is. Uh, a load of ideas that years ago I would have said, we will never do that. We'll never be that kind of company. That's a bit stupid, big company thing. Things like, hey, you know, uh, maybe we should have an annual roadmap. I'm like, annual? What? Like next year? Like, we don't know what we're doing next year. That's way too far away yeah. to the future. Like, you know, take care of the present and the future will take care of itself or whatever. But, you know, then you have customers signing multi-year deals or whatever. And they ask you, hey, so like what's coming, you know, in, in my kind of multi-year deal? And your answer can't be, 
uh, we're not that kind of company, you know? Um, So, like, there's lots of things that we do now that are good things to do that I think we would have thought in the past weren't going to be good things to do. And then the other side of it, of course, is all of the crap that, like, aren't good things to do but do come uh, with scale and complexity and growth and lots of people talking to lots of people and suddenly you're just this big, slow-moving company with lots of things that uh, are just purely total, you know, work, work, unnecessary byproducts of something else. And then people are like, hey, that's just the way it is around here. So, you know, I'm not going to rock the boat. Exactly. And it's like, it's kind of every team has their own TPS reports and all that sort of stuff. Like the the events of scale just conspire to slow you down. And there is this kind of gravitational pull as you grow. It's like the world wants you to slow down. And if you don't like fight maniacally against this, you will slow down. And then once you do slow down, you're no longer like what you set it to be because you're just, you know, your executional capacity is gone. The whole cadence of the company shifts. And next thing, like everything is, you you talk only in quarters and not in days or hours or whatever. And like, you know, you just, you lose your grip on like what actually made you good in the first place. I will just say that the counterpoint, a lot of the things you talked about, as you said, like whether it's annual roadmaps or whether it's like having a team, they're all necessary things. Like as your product grows and becomes mission critical, you start to realize things like, well, it's beneficial to have one team thinking about the inbox full time, like the inbox being a mission critical part of Intercom. So you, you decide to establish long-term technical ownership in the form of a team. And then you have another area of, say, our product, like the messenger. And that's also a mission critical piece. So you put a team there. And before you know it, you've got two teams and you need cross-functional collaboration because if we want to make a change in the messenger that affects the inbox, these teams need to work together. So like, I guess I'm just saying in defense of like scale, some of this stuff is a result of ambition. If you are ambitious about what the product will offer, about what your product can achieve and how big your business can get, there are some like invariants of scale are unavoidable. And that's things like management, things like collaboration, things like product working in tandem with sales, marketing and support, et cetera. Like they're all going to happen to you. The one big, big, big thing that you just can't sacrifice is the speed of the company, the operational cadence. I think that's what we're going to talk about mostly today is um, how to diagnose speed problems, why speed is important, uh, how to get speed. And just ultimately like, why you know I, I've been on record many times as saying speed is the, the only thing you have in your back pocket as a startup when you're trying to compete. I've also said that like the reason I think speed's important is because fast gets good quicker than good will ever get fast. We've said a lot of things about this, and I, I think we'll just take a bit of time today to get into it. So, Paul, I'll start with you, I guess, over your eight years, uh, which is functionally the entire time of Intercom's product life in a sense. What happens to companies as they grow? Yeah, one distinction that I want to make, and I'm going to get into this in a, in a minute, is the distinction between speed and momentum. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think momentum is actually a very powerful thing to think about and something we've been talking about recently, but it's often come up over the years. Uh, you said an interesting thing there, Daz, a minute ago, which was about like you know being a big company and ambition. And I think for us, you know, one of the things we've often said to each other uh, and internally to people is, we are not trying to be a big company, but... Our ambition requires us to be a big company or a certain mm-hmm. size of company. And yeah. so that gets into the idea of mass, like mm-hmm. how big do you need to be to get done what you need to get done? And so, you know, big companies and bigger companies and being bigger, becoming bigger doesn't have to be a bad thing at all. But what, you know, when companies get bigger, obviously they get more complex. Like you said earlier, more teams, more orgs, more people to talk about. And 
the default is that they get slow. And that becomes a competitive disadvantage because if you're slower, obviously, and then there's, you know, faster movers below you and disruption theory, all the rest of it. But I think the tricky thing about this is that uh, slowness happens like bit by bit, small thing by small thing. And it's a bit like, being, you know, you're kind of being a frog being boiled or something. You kind of wake up one day and you're like, oh, shit, you know, maybe not dead, but like you're not in a good place, you know, and it kind of happened. And then the longer it took and the slower it was, the more you might not notice it. And then it's so hard to unwind everything. And then it, it self-reinforces because the company's growing. You're adding more yeah. people. The new and people join. your culture. Like your, your culture becomes slow. And then people yeah. join and like the culture is the thing. It doesn't matter how many fucking Google docs you produce. The culture is what sets the fucking momentum, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and for us, you know, our experience, obviously we have this obsession with moving fast and so on for all the obvious reasons. And I'm sure lots of people out there do as well, but the new people join typically from slower companies and they're like, shit, intercom is fast. But then if we're getting slower and slower and slower, they'll just adapt to what they're more familiar with and what they've had more often in their career. And, and then it becomes okay to move at that slower pace. And like you said, that's the new culture, that's the new norm. And it's just very hard to increase your momentum when it's slowed down. And can we just take one second so we don't, we don't hang too abstract? We talk about speed in Intercom or momentum. What, what are the outputs of that? Like, are we talking about the rate of product change, rate of decisions made? Is it all of those things? Like, what do you make a fast company? Yeah, so, so I think for me personally, there's only one true thing that actually matters, which is delivering customer value. You know, delivering product that solves problems for customers that aren't solved well today, improves the product for them, solves a new problem in a better way. Like delivering things customers care about, want to use, want to buy. Like that's and, and, and like, so I totally get that. And, then, and even like loosely in your head, like, so how would you measure that? Like, it's obviously, it's not kilometers per hour, but what is, is, is it like meaningful, meaningful improvements to the product released in, in, in time period? Yeah, like the way we've always kind of thought about this at Intercom is product changes shipped. Yeah. So like how many product changes did we ship? That's become more complicated. It's not as simple as just counting the number of changes uh, yeah. because for a start, changes are different sizes. You can have a really big release, you can have a small release. You know, they're not equal. Uh, one took a lot longer than the other with more people. And then once you get down into some of the nitty gritty, you know, fixing a bug isn't really a product change, but it did yeah. make things better. And there's a gray zone between like, well, we're technically just fixing something that's broken, but actually we're also making the product better. And some yeah. teams would count that as a change, others wouldn't. Some companies might count it as a change, others wouldn't. But there's some sort of sense in your head, even if it's not like quantified as like a, a weight of the change, like how, how much does this change weigh on the scales? Like, so like brand new feature, brand new product, that's big. That's like, you know, it might only be one thing, but it's one big thing. And some other team might do like 10 little things and you probably have some rough, yep, that seems like a decent, you know, cycles work or a decent quarters work, right? Yeah, exactly. And you can, you can measure this in lots of different ways. You know, you can look like teams obviously can retrospect and think, hey, did we have a good quarter? Did we have a good week? Did we have a good day? Did we have a good year? You can kind of look at teams, compare teams to each other and say, hey, you know, and obviously and there's lots of other mitigating circumstances, like people leaving teams, joining teams, all sorts yeah, of stuff. Yeah, tech debt, whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah tech exactly. And like, so if you rage quit Intercom tomorrow and joined QuasiCorp, who are doing like fantastic, like, I don't know, expense tracking platform, how would you first get a sense of like, is this a fast company or not? What, what would you be looking for? I'd love to get into kind of like thinking of momentum. This might get a bit like physics now in a minute, but th- yeah. this, is what I, this is what I'd go in and look at. Momentum is velocity times mass. 
velocity yeah. is like how fast you're moving. So, you know, for us in building software, how fast are we executing? That's maybe product changes made. And then in a specific direction, right? So it's like not just how, not just speed, but it's in a specific direction, which is strategy. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking at like how fast are we executing? Yeah. And is, it, is everyone moving in the same direction? Are we just executing yeah. it like blindly all over the place? So that's one thing. What's the kind of velocity of the company? And then the second thing is mass, which is like how many people do we have? How many teams do yeah. we have? And you can kind of dig into both of those areas and say, you know, on the mass side, like how big are the teams? Are they efficient? What are people doing? How are they making decisions? And then on the execution side, like, you know, what's people's expectations of what good looks like and shipping product changes and not shipping product changes? Mm-hmm. Do they all ladder up to a strategy? Is it really easy for people to explain? So they're, they're like specific things we can drill into. The other thing, though, is there's a, like, I often say to people, like, momentum is infectious. And when a company yeah. is a high momentum company, you know, you just know. You walk in yeah. the door and you can feel it. Like, you know, I've often told you the story, Des, when we talked about kind of office environments and you know, what makes a great office environment and so on. The first time I ever walked into the Facebook office, the HQ in Palo Alto at the time, it was like circa 2010. And I was walking, literally walking from, or driving in this case, from the Google offices into the Facebook offices. And holy shit, the difference, you know. And obviously, it's like a yeah. part of Google and so on. But the Facebook office was just, the momentum was infectious. Like, it was in the air. You know, you could just, just buzzing, feel it. like just the noise, the, like the yeah. pace, people storming from desk to desk, just getting stuff done. Yeah, people are just like, we are on it. We're on a mission here, yeah. you know. And it was just amazing and brilliant to be a part of. And so it's really infectious. And, you know, I, I do think a lot of the things that, that create that atmosphere are things that are happening in the discussions people are having and, and how fast they're making decisions. And it might really just boil down to that simple thing of like how fast we make decisions. But, you know, if you're walking into a room and it's like, here's what we're going to do. You know, we've got to do this. We've got to do that. What do we know? What do we not know? You know? Who's deciding? Are we deciding now? Are we deciding today, tomorrow? That's just a different experience to, and then, you know, and then we're shipping and we're getting customer feedback and it's a whole beautiful virtuous loop. That's just a very different feeling to like a company where you walk in and it's like, there's a lot more procrastination. You know, mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Let's think about that. Or There's a meeting on Thursday that we're going to go to where we're going to learn what we're doing, you know? Yeah, and like, the, and, yeah. and even, you know, some versions of this, like have some validity, of course, like, hey, we need more data. We're not sure. How sure yeah. are we? We're like 60% sure. We want to get to 80% yeah. sure. And you're like, well, maybe 60% is good enough. But mm-hmm. then the worst versions of this are things like you walk in and people are like, we can't decide today. You know, like if I was, again, like evaluating whatever the corp was, you said there, people yeah, would say things corp, like, yeah. yeah, in the worst examples, they'd be like, oh, we're going to decide that next week. I'm like, why are you deciding next week? It's like, ah, oh, Des is on holidays. All right, yeah. who's Des? Oh, he's our designer. All right. And it's a kind of a design decision. Uh, you know, like it's not really a design decision. It's a PM decision, but like design's impact. I don't really want to upset mm-hmm. Des. He's on his holidays, you know. So when he comes back, We'll have a chat, have a meeting. Actually, our team meeting scheduled for a week after when he comes back. We'll probably talk about it then. Yeah. And I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh, you know. But this happens. Like, you know, th- these are normal human things to do, like wait for Des to come back and chat to Des and yeah. get back. And people don't realize, like, that the reason things end up quarters late is because, like, you know, you lose a quarter in, like, days and half days. You don't actually lose it in, like, one quarter decisions. No one's like, let's push this whole thing out a quarter. It's just a, the, a consistent aggregation of those. Uh, we'll chat about that on Tuesday, you know? Yeah. It, it strikes me some amount of this has got to do with, like, the companies who insist on the synchronous culture, like, as in everything has to happen in meetings, uh, and therefore everyone needs to be around at the same time, and therefore it needs to get scheduled, and therefore it needs to get pushed out a week or whatever, versus, like, 
whatever, like Slack, Threads, Basecamp, Gmail, you know, whatever, whatever the tool is, like there are, are like many decisions that can be made a, a, async. And I think, is it fair to say an async culture can be a lot faster because it, because you just don't have this calendar collision problem? Uh, it's a good question. I don't know. Uh, you know, we were, we were a very synchronous face-to-face company and culture yeah. for all of our early years, mm-hmm. uh, up until the pandemic uh, probably forces not to be in a way. Yeah. Um, so I think you can have an insanely fast culture, a high momentum culture. Facebook was like that too back in those days. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was all face-to-face. Not, nothing was even written down. Yeah. And so I think you can have it in a, in a synchronous live culture if, if, if that's how people operate and behave. And as I said, I think you're correct. And, and it's also fair to say that just simply being async doesn't mean you're moving fast either. Maybe the actual difference is like, and you used the phrase work, work earlier. And like when I hear work, work, what I usually want my mind jumps to is like the worst form of yak shaving, something that's indirectly potentially associated with something that might help something that might help something that might help us ship software, you know, that type of stuff. And I think we have been pretty good at fighting against anything, like whether it's like process steps or like reports or whatever, that where people can like lose hours or potentially weeks or let their calendar get filled up on like these kind of empty carbohydrates that ultimately don't really matter. And like when you have a free calendar like that, then what happens is in a synchronous culture, you just walk down the hall and ask Des, hey, make a design decision on this or that or whatever. And that's an actual easy thing to do. Whereas when everyone is busy, like, you know, dotting I's and crossing T's on a dozen different sort of outcome reports or whatever, then you can, you can like genuinely feel a delay of we're a synchronous culture, but the person I need to talk to is like fully booked. Yeah. There's obviously, you know, in all of the things we're talking about today, there's obviously a sweet spot. For example, like in a fully live synchronous culture, maybe people feel like everyone needs to be part of the decision. But in Mm -hmm. fact, that's not necessarily the case. And that's only a problem if the expectation is, is set within the culture that everyone should be part of the decision, right? Yeah. And then you get, you know, the worst versions of this, which is, you know, some kind of democracy or something. But yeah, um, yeah. And I, don't, I don't think that, that's not the sweet spot, clearly. And of course, then yeah. there's other extremes where, like, people are just left out of the loop. You know, you kind of have an alpha culture where people are just deciding, you know, yeah. irrespective of other people's opinions. And But there is, there is certainly a sweet spot, and I think, Oftentimes, again, it's just the kind of boiling the frog thing. Little bit by little bit, the culture starts to naturally gravitate towards trying to include everyone or, you know, get more data or just it becomes a little bit more conservative as you grow. And it's something you have to actively fight and actively think about and push and change and evolve and adapt. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. 
We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. You, you talk about decisions a lot as being like the sort of the core ingredient of speed or possible cause of delay in a sense, in that like a lack of decision making is the piece. What are the ways you can make fast decisions or like execution is primarily about like uh, rapid decision making. How like do you design an org that makes sure we can make fast decisions consistently? And you hinted at some of it there. Maybe it's like the right amount of autocracy or the right amount of a dictatorship that you might want. Maybe it's like the style of decision making, et cetera. Like, how do you make sure that, that like decisions happen quickly? And I, and I realize as I'm saying this, that like it's product folks that are often the owners of the process, the owners of the, the decisions of what we're doing, the roadmap, all that sort of stuff. So it's potentially product is like the single biggest either inhibitor or like an enabler of speed. Yeah, and, and one, I'll get into that in a second. One caveat as well, I, I, I guess, or not caveat, maybe a disclaimer, is something that I often push back against is this idea of more haste, less speed. So again, like other kind of cultures and teams I've worked in in the past, and it's happened at Intercom a few times too, and if that's a kind of course correct, is we're over-optimizing for like speed and it's haste. You know, we're not making good decisions. We're just making hasty decisions. And so you can, you can over-egg this thing for sure. But I think a good way to think about this for me is to make this kind of more practical is we have a process that we've iterated it over the years. You know, the process exists for things like, you know, we, we, we try things, we learn lessons, then we encode the lessons so that we don't make mistakes in the future, same mistakes in the future. And the process is important and people follow the process. But you can also become a slave or whatever to it. A slave to the process, you know? Yeah. Like there's one thing you've talked about actually to me in the past is the iron law of bureaucracy. Oh, yeah, yeah. That Purnell's iron law of bureaucracy. That's, that's the idea that like in any organization, there'll be two kinds of people. The first are like the people who you want. These are people who are devoted to the goals of the organization. So like in Intercom, there's people who are like dedicated to making sure that we build good product fast, that our rate of customer experience of our product is like improving really, really fast. And the second type of person would be somebody who's dedicated to the, the organization independent of the goals, which is that like there's an Intercom way of doing things and we're going to do it the Intercom way independent of whether or not it achieves the goals. And these people will love process and they'll happily inject 25 more steps and five more docs and three more meetings into anything they touch, basically. And I think the, the law says that basically the second group will always overpower the first group. That is the bad people, will, like the people who care more about process and all organizational discipline and all that will overpower the first group, they'll gain and control of the organization, they'll write in more rules, they'll control everything about what actually happens. And the solution to that is to really, really, really fight back against anyone who is in the second category. And that that's often not popular. It's like and this will happen. Like we'll see people we have seen people over the years, like intercoms where we employed over a thousand people over the years. People have joined us from large companies and they've brought with us the big bag of spreadsheets and flowcharts and processes that they want to roll out. And 
if you don't like if, if when you assess these things you know what you see is this will definitely slow us down and maybe improve us the, i guarantee you the definites will happen like any step you add to a process is a guaranteed slowdown and a potential improvement and you should just be as so paranoid or like a, so picky about what gets in and what gets out because otherwise you are going to walk into this iron law of bureaucracy and like the extreme end of this. And I've been like, I've sat in on like board meetings for companies. I've, I've like advised companies where this has happened where people celebrate a good product launch or a good product project entirely based on its adherence to the process. And they say it came in on time. It, it had all the features we asked, blah, blah. And I'm like pulling my hair out going, but like no one's using it. Like, how, how are we celebrating this? Like, this is like being an absolute dismal failure in reality. The only place this is an all greens lights up the scoreboard is in that spreadsheet. And P.S., if we wanted to produce an all green spreadsheet, I can make one pretty quickly, but we're actually trying to build fucking software. That's hard, you know? So I, I think any startup at any stage, honestly, should be really wary about any move to expand or grow its own process, which is why I fight with you so often, Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it is. So, so like, I'm gonna give process uh, some some positive airtime here in a sec. If, but you're right, process grows. I was gonna say the same thing. Process grows. The natural, the default path again as a company grows is that the process will grow. But the process also exists for a reason. And and when we have people joining to come, we do want them to learn our process for building software. Mm-hmm. But like I said earlier, like the process is just all the lessons we've learned encoded into some rules that we think will help people avoid mistakes that we've made in the past. But it does do good things. You know, it reduces risk. Uh, it removes uncertainty. Like people, if they follow the process, aren't questioning, what am I supposed to do now? And it's especially important for newer people. Standardizing things makes help people not question it. It's faster for them to decide. It's like, hey, just, you know, I'm not going to ask what I'm supposed to do now. I'm just going to go do it. Mm-hmm. The, the thing for me, though, is I love it when people are executing on the edge of the process. You know right. what I mean? Like, yes, they're following the process, but also... At the same time, asking, you know, can we remove, reduce this? Can we remove this thing? Like, we make the process shorter, smaller, faster. And so, I love when people are both simultaneously executing the process that's there for good reason and has come from a good place and a place of evidence, Mm -hmm. and yet continuing to try and make it better and better and better. Like that, that to me is the sweet spot. And those types of questions, like they're the ones that kind of accelerate a company where people are looking to not cut corners, but skip unnecessary steps or do the minimum amount of work work in order to, to move forward. What are those like, you know, how do those come up and what, what is it you like about them? Yeah, so I think there's momentum building questions people can ask. And so, and again, this, these can fit into any kind of process really, you know, yeah. but they, they range from things like, why are we blocked? We're blocked, why are we blocked? And how do we unblock ourselves? Or, yeah. hey, we're procrastinating. Why can't we decide now? Mm-hmm. Why are we waiting? We're waiting. Why are we waiting? Why aren't we just chasing this down, finding a new, different, better, faster way to yeah. decide? Yeah. Uh, who's going to make this decision? Hey, we're all looking around at each other. It's like the Spider-Man thing, you know, all the Spider-Man. Yeah, everyone's pointing at each other. Like, who is it? Can some one of the Spider-Mans say, "Hey, which Spider-Man is, you know, yeah. and when?" And then, and then, what's the minimum we need to do in order to learn and block progress? Okay, the process says we need to do like whatever ten units of work. Do we need to do those 10 units or could we do it in six units of work? Like, you know, what's the minimum we need? So those momentum building questions I think are really important. And then there's just some, you know, momentum building actions you can take and, and take these actions by default, right? So things like, let's meet and debate now. 
Like we mentioned some of this earlier, don't wait until the meeting next week. Like we can do it now or decide, make, let's make the decision with who we have now. Don't wait until the other person gets back from holidays. And then lastly, let's decide with what we know now. We're 80% sure. That's good enough. No, you know, why are we waiting to be 90% sure, 95% sure? Because God knows we'll ship the thing and our customers will sure as hell tell us we got it wrong. You know, so like, let's get, let's get out earlier with less confidence knowing that we're going to learn and get faster and better uh, and we don't need more data necessarily. So maybe just one last question is, um, for the folks who work in product orgs, what is a good thing for them to do to, to identify how to speed up causes of slowness? Where would these momentum building questions and actions be most powerful? What would you advise them to do? Yeah, two things. One, I'd go back to the kind of like basic physics description of momentum we described earlier and, mm-hmm. and, and look at their org and say, okay, like it's velocity times mass. So what's giving us the velocity, how fast we're executing, is everyone in the right direction, strategy, times the mass, how, you know, how big is the team? Do we need a bigger team? We might need a bigger team. Or is the team too big? Maybe we need a smaller team. And like critically examine that. And then the other thing I'd suggest to do is just go back to the history a little bit. You know, you're in a certain place today. Where did that come from? Right? How did it evolve? How did it grow? Like we said at the start, slowness comes in small pieces, bit by bit. It's the frog in the boiling pot of water. So kind of trace these things all the way through and see what happens like. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, things are made for good reason that, that do not no longer exist. You know, things have yeah. changed. You don't, don't need that thing anymore. Or we yeah. gravitated culturally to some principle that we believe in and we've taken it a little bit like religion, a bit like dogma, yeah. and it's now become yeah. way greater and exaggerated than it actually needs to be. And we should dial yeah. it back again, you know? Yeah. There's like uh, a part of that is just kind of like what's like along with operational cadence of a company, I think there's like, what are the, what's the core behaviors that enable speed? So like one example is like, um, like it, it, it never fails to impress me how many meetings we don't have to have an intercom because of some basic assumptions that we have. Like we assume every project is working according to plan and we assume that if that's not the case, we'll hear about it. We assume that like, you know, people are unblocked and we don't have a daily meeting to find out who's blocked. We assume everyone's unblocked and let people pop their head up if they're blocked. Like I think oftentimes simply having a standard of we assume the positive case so keep going and let us know if that's not true is so much faster than let us do a weekly stand-up or daily stand-up or daily check-in or weekly reports or any of that sort of stuff like i assume people are doing their job uh, and that if, if they're blocked in doing their job they'll let me know or if the situations are preventing them from doing their job they'll let me know and as a result i don't pepper them with questions every day about what did they get done i leave them do the work and i just think some of the operational assumptions of a company can actually make it fast too I, I guess as we're wrapping up here, like this whole thing reminds me of like the, you know, that famous Jedi bell curve, which is the, like the, the low IQ version of the bell curve is basically saying, we just need to build really fast. And the top of the bell curve, which is the most average people are saying, what we need to do is consider requirements, identify, identify scopes, deliverables, assess time, cost, procure, employment estimates, all that sort of shit. And then the Jedi end is saying, nah, mate, we just need to build really damn fast. I feel like, you know, every startup maybe goes on that journey of like, they try out an overwhelming amount of process, conclude, screw that. And they say, look, the thing that matters most, more than anything else, is just moving really fast. And that seems to be where like uh, you've netted out too. Yeah, I think so. Uh, And the, the only way to get to that Jedi place on the bell curve is to actively reduce things, remove things, you know, revert things at times 
like it's back to the same thing like process grows by default and yeah. you've got to actively manage for that yes you do and i'm basically fight against it like because uh, i think it, there's not enough people in companies anywhere saying let's kill the processes let's kill these steps let's merge these steps let's move faster i think it's always an attractive trade in any pm designer engineer when they're telling you i need to move faster or i want to move faster and here's how you can help me do it one actual example that might help people too is something that we do do here pretty well is kill things and then feel yeah. the pain. So like yeah. you know, meetings, for example, we oftentimes will say, hey, we're going to kill this meeting. It's like become a bit bureaucratic or like, you know, not that useful. We could do this stuff in better ways, async or whatever, written doc, Slack. So we kill yeah. it. And no, we know we're going to probably feel some pain. Mm-hmm. And then we'll bring back a new version of it that's like lighter, better, yeah, uh, but the only and way more to designed that, to solve the, the new pain in a sense, right? Yeah, but you got to feel the pain. You, you can't like yeah. what we don't do is try and redesign the thing to be slightly lighter. You just like delete. Yeah, just feel yeah, pain exactly. for a few weeks. It just takes yeah. a few weeks or a month or two. You'll feel the yeah. pain and then you'll go again. So you see, you don't inherit any assumptions of the old solution. You like let the pain represent itself and design something that solves the new problem. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Cool. That That's a good tip too. All right. Thank you very much for today, Paul. Hope everyone's enjoyed listening and we'll be back in a few weeks with another Intercom on Product. Take care, everyone. This is Intercom on Product.